Okay, welcome to another suspense-tinged episode of CineLit. Today we are looking at a pair of films from Alfred Hitchcock, the master of suspense. Two films in a run of films in the 1950s that seem a little out of place with the rest of his films he was making in that period. We're looking at The Trouble with Harry, 1955, and The Wrong Man, 1956. Today I'm joined by CineLit's resident expert, Daryl Buxton. How are you, Daryl? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Adam. Always willing to talk about Alfred Hitchcock. And we've got two really interesting little films here. And as you say, in that golden period from sort of, uh, you know, 50, 53, 54 to, to 60, when he could do absolutely no wrong, these, as you say, are the two films that, that sort of are as good as the others, but don't quite fit into to the bunch. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. I was talking, we were on the way up here to, to record this. One of my colleagues was asking uh, what, what we were recording. I said, we're doing two films from Alfred Hitchcock. And I named the two films, and he was just like, oh, interesting. Okay, that's not not ones that uh, you often hear about. But then again, did Alfred Hitchcock ever make a bad film? Well, I guess not. Even his worst films have got interest uh, 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 about them, you know, and and I think these two are, are far from his worst. You know, I think they're mm. they're, they're both um, very experimental. I think they've got connections with each other, and they've got connections with other films that were around at the time and things that were going on in Hitchcock's career. So we can address all that as we go. And yeah. uh, I, I think the differences between these and the classics that he was making, like Rear Window, Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho, at this time. Are, are, are fascinating because they show that uh, even in a run of, of gold like that, he, he could sort of dip in and out and do experimental things as well. He could just do whatever he wanted and, and, and it all seemed to turn to magic at that time. You know, the 50s were, were just the, the decade when he could do no wrong. Yeah, I mean, it certainly feels like a, a director following big releases in the 50s like Rear Window and things like that and then he and then he rocks up with The Trouble with Harry um, which is, is an unusual decision yeah I think. yeah I mean one, one of one of the, a couple of things that he said about this um, before before he set out on it are that he was coming to this new film and he, and he, and he thought I, I don't want to make a film with, with Cary Grant or, or Jimmy Stewart you know let's let's see if I can do a movie that's not got stars in it that was that was one thing and he, he also when, when he spoke to Francois during the, the famous set of interviews, he said, I've always been interested in establishing a contrast, in going against the traditional and in breaking away from cliches. And he said, with the trouble with Harry, I took melodrama out of the pitch black night and brought it out into the sunshine. And he also told another interviewer that... Um, I made this film, or in fact, while, while, it, while he was making it, he said, he said, this film is going to be a test... It's going to be a test of the audience. So where you've got this this famous line about Hitchcock calling actors cattle, you know, he, he's obviously puppeteering the audience here. Yeah. You know, his whole thing with this was it's a test to help Alfred Hitchcock discover whether he could change the way that American film audiences viewed humour. And what he wanted to do was to bring in a new style of humour that, that, that American cinema goers hadn't seen before. And, it, and it's almost unique as well. Trouble with Harry, it's not quite a black comedy. It's got, it's got the sense of a black comedy about it, but it's got a very light tone to it as well. Mm. I, I honestly can't think of another film tonally that, it, that is like it. I think in, in its wake, you have things like, I get Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is tech, it's a very light tone, but dealing with 
fairly um, t- taboo subjects and things yeah, like that. Yeah, that, you, that, sort of, that sort of does the same thing coming from the other side yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. Because with Hitchcock, you're expecting it to be dark. You know, yeah. with Breakfast at Tiffany's, you're, you're not. So, it's, so it, yeah, but they sort of meet in the middle, don't mm, they? Mm. Yeah, 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 I mean, it's one, it's one of those, I, mean, I, I sat watching and thinking, A, did, did Hitchcock do that many comedies? I mean, what Lady Vanishes, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, yeah, yeah, some of the early Silence, even even where even where he did, they they're always Hitchcock yeah. movies. They <laughs> always lean towards the, the the dark. You know, the the other thing to mention, of course, is that he'd he'd lost out on getting the rights to uh, uh, Les Diaboliques at right. this time, and and that was that was being shot or would have been shot just before this in in France by by Clouseau. You know. So Hitchcock had missed out on that, and he, he came to do a, a Boileau and the Narsa Jack uh, story later with Vert- Vertigo. But there's there's a there's a moment in Trouble with Harry where with a corpse in the bath near the end, yeah. and you think is is this him just having a, a little private joke there, just saying, oh, the, what what might have been, you know? But, well, maybe, uh, but I think, I think the 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 feet play a big role in the corpse's performance in this they, they movie, do. don't they? they? Do. So, yeah. one, one thing to say about those feet before we get into the, the, the sort of meat of the movie is he, he, he keeps doing these incredible close-ups of, of the corpse's feet. One, one with it, one, once its shoes have been taken by, by a sort of passing hobo, you know, and, and you see these brightly coloured sort of two-tone socks looming into the screen. Now, um, Trouble with Harry is one of the famous five missing Hitchcocks that mm. Hitch held the rights to for years and years. The, the deal was that the studio would have the rights to, to release the films and show them on release in the 50s. But then after that initial run, the rights reverted to Hitchcock and he prevented Rope, Rear Window, Vertigo, The Trouble with Harry and The Man Who Knew Too Much from going into distribution for decades, and they were eventually re-released in 1984. And I went to see them all in 84 um, at the cinema and um, re-watched Trouble with Harry in preparation for this um, uh, a week or so ago. And um, I've got to say that the, the, the sh- those close-up shots of feet look good on on a tv screen but they look absolutely amazing in a cinema they mm. they they they're right they're, the 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 soles of those feet are right in your face you know and especially when they've got these brightly colored socks on so wonderful shots and um and again hit pure hitchcock great sort of sense of humor you know can can i get someone's feet right in the audience's face i want yeah. i do wonder if tarantino uh, uh, is a fan of this movie because <laughs> he seems to have taken on board that um, yeah. element of this I, movie into his I films i think so uh, well I, I think he's he's got that fetish anyway <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, but, but it, he he'd love seeing a hitchcock movie that caters to his peculiar tastes mm. you know yeah but it's, it's it, but, but, I mean, obviously back to back to the, to to, to Trouble with Harry. It's a very, it's a very unusual film for to be an experimental film because it looks like a million dollars. It yeah. looks beautiful. It yeah. looks shot. It's. It, when I started watching it again, and it was like, oh my god, it's like a Douglas Sirk movie. Mm. It's yeah. really rich colours, yeah. really rich oranges, and autumnal yeah. um, setting. Yeah. Now the interesting thing about that is that. Um, um, people know about Psycho and they know that the Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV series had, had been running for about five years by the time Psycho was made. And Hitchcock, having done this run of amazing colour movies 
starting probably with with Dial M for Murder, I guess, and and running through to North by Northwest, uh, went basic with Psycho. And it was like, let's make something in stark black and white and let's do something that I can shoot quickly with the TV crew that have been working on Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Now, everyone knows that about Psycho. What's not so well known is that the Alfred Hitchcock Presents show was being formulated and had started filming at the same time as The Trouble with Harry. Right. And for all of the lush, verdant, autumnal, great Vermont countryside, rural browns and, and, and ochres and things that you see on screen that look fabulous, this was an attempt by Hitchcock to... Again, experiment, and and he knew the TV show was coming up and was already in production, and it was like, can can I shoot a movie in the style of 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 what I know the TV show is going to be like? So it sort of it, it sort of bookends a little period with Psycho mm. in that this and Psycho are almost like brothers in that they're they're basically shot in the style of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and one was done before the show went to air and the, the the other one was done five years later after the show had been running successfully and it was like, okay, let's use the TV crew and bang out a quick, cheap horror movie sort of thing. But, yeah, uh, Trouble but, with Harry with, is, Sorry, is, just going back with that, I, I, I definitely got that when I was watching The Wrong Man. I, mm, the Wrong mm. Man felt like a, a, an early run for Psycho. Yes, it's like a, yeah, it's like yeah, a, a relatively yeah. small cast... You know, quickly in and out shooting. Yeah, okay, yeah, you didn't. Yeah. It didn't feel like it was an expensive production. It felt like okay. Well, this is the trial run for Psycho. Yeah. But you're saying that it's more trouble with Harry. Was it? Was it? Yes, was, very was much. That, yeah. And and people don't know that because the first thing they see is your your eyes are knocked out by by the Vermont locations. Yeah. And by the way, they're photographed, mm-hmm. which is amazing. You know, brilliant colour photography. And again, see it on a big screen if you can. It looks fantastic. But. Um, yeah, this this was all done as an attempt to let's. I suppose he's coming to this after doing Rear Window and after doing uh, Dial M for Murder. Both both of which, if you think about those, they're both fairly yeah. low key, confined sort of project. You know, sort of one set movies sort of thing, and 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 yet. He he saw those as being cinematic because he could do interesting things with the camera, and this this was more a case of. This is what I want my TV show to be like. Yeah, and yeah. And, and yet we still get the the, the great colour photography and, as you say, the, the 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 fantastic Hollywood gloss to it. Yeah, know? I mean, because Hitchcock wasn't like shy of reducing locations and reducing sets. I mean, obviously that went back to things like Lifeboat and yeah, things like yeah, that. You know, yeah. he wasn't he wasn't just Cary Grant running around various different locations yeah, yeah. being but, chased by other yeah, by planes. But he could always make that that confinement. Cinematic. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a rope is a big example of, of, yeah. of, of, of the yeah. one setting thing. And and so here's trouble with Harry, where suddenly he's on outdoor locations for a lot of the shoot mm. and um, using them very very well. But um, in his mind. He's making an episode of his TV show. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is bizarre. I mean, I suppose one thing that that, that sort of fits in with that is this business of not working with stars. You know, I mean, he bought he bought back people like Edmund Gwen that he'd worked with years and years before, and uh, there's people like Mildred Natwick in there, and then John Forsyth and Shirley MacLaine, who were both pretty much newcomers at the time. You know, Shirley, I think it's Shirley it's a, MacLaine film making debut. a debut. Yeah, yeah. film debut. And um, 
what a performance from her. Mm. I, you put yourself in, in the minds of an audience that is watching The Trouble with Harry and you've gone along to see the new Hitchcock and you're wondering, oh, is, is Grace Kelly going to be in it or whatever, you know. And and you get this sort of gauche, gamine, sort of, you know, crop-haired figure that you've never seen before. And she's a knockout. It, yeah. it must have been like watching the future. Yeah, I mean, it is a strange thing because you think about all of Hitchcock's, if you think about Hitchcock's leading ladies sort of thing throughout his career, she's a real, she sticks out like a sore thumb. Absolutely. Um, yeah, in, yeah. In, in, in so many ways. Well, she's, she's not a Hitchcock blonde. She's not at all, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 And, and, you know, she's not conventionally beautiful. In She's got her own thing going yeah, on, yeah. you know. And, yeah, I mean, audiences and Hitchcock himself as well, when, when he cast her, must, must have thought this, this is what's coming, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, maybe this is what mums look like. Yeah, yeah. yeah this yeah. is what young mums could, look like rather be. than... Ha- having said that, um, the, the very first person that we see on screen is um, the, the, the kid, mm. Jerry Mathers, who later became the star of the uh, Leave It to Beaver TV show, which was a smash in right. America. Didn't really sort of transfer over here, but it's huge yeah. in the States. Translation and, issues on that is not, yeah, it's not a good one. I know, yeah. I know. But Jerry, uh, for me... Looks like a young Alfred Hitchcock. He, I, I, okay. I, I've, I've never seen photo. I don't even know if there are photos of a young Hitch, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he looks like Jerry Mathers in this. Yeah, yeah. I think his facial features, in particular, are, they've got that sort of pudginess to them, you know. And and I, I can see Hitchcock in there, you mm, know. Mm. It, it, it was. I mean, you talk about experimentation. Also, it marks the start of many things. I mean, you talk about it bookending this sort of like period of experimentation with the TV crew and that kind of mentality. Also. Marks his first collaboration with Bernard Herrmann, yes, who yeah. he would, would obviously would go on to to be incredibly famous for for his scores for Hitchcock films, particularly uh, yeah. Vertigo. And 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 this one's not a recognisably mm. Herrmann esque score, is it? It's great, but but it's it's tailored for the movie. Yeah, and also it's not rather it, than it, rather than being yeah. A Bernard Herman score, you know, well, they, we'd not reached the point where he was writing those yet. Well, I think I think also is like he was writing for a Hitch, and this is this wasn't a recognisable Hitch film either. Yeah, so I it guess was so. Like, well, so yeah, they're know, all they're all doing something different. They're mm. all experimenting. Yeah, yeah. Um, we also get John Forsyth in yes, this as well, who's yeah, great. Yeah. He's great, and, and then obviously would go on to become Charlie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> many roles like he did. Charlie's Angels, yes, Charlie. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so again, you know, not a face that would have been well known to audiences. No. Again, so you've got him and Shirley MacLaine sort of carrying this film. He's particularly impressive at trying to. I, I want to use the word prop up, but it's not. It's not the right. It's not the right description of it, really. But he's, well, he's, he, he keeps it all moving. His wit yeah. and his yeah. his yeah. his dry delivery yeah. keeps that that comedic tone running through the film. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's the one person who seems to have something to do with all of the other characters yeah. as well. You know, ha- Harry the dead body has something to do with all of them, and then John Forsyth is is sort of the the, the living embodiment and representative mm. of that because he interacts with all the characters so yeah he's he's like the core of the film yeah, yeah. and everybody else has to sort of bounce off him and he's particularly good I think playing off Edmund Gwen I think they make a great team Ed, Edmund Gwen I was we were sat watching this with, with my wife and we're sat watching it and enjoying it and I just said just close your eyes and listen to Edmund Gwen isn't he like Anthony Hopkins and his, his voice is almost identical yeah, to Anthony no, Hopkins. Yeah, you say that? And it was yes, just like, oh, yeah. my God. And obviously, since then, all, all I've got in my head is Anthony Hopkins playing him in a remake. But, um, 
Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But he was great. He was great. Obviously, he was fairly famous at this point. Yes, so you talk about not 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 having names in it. He was like Chris Kringle in Miracle on Thirty Fourth. Yes, Street. he yeah. was, and, and and his 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 time with Hitchcock goes back to the yeah. early thirties. Mm-hmm. You know, so I uh, don't think he'd work work with Hitch recently, but he'd worked with him sort of over over twenty years ago. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And, uh, but you know, he, he won an Oscar in the last. Yes, yes, he was was current. Yeah, 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 he was was a big name, probably the biggest name in in the film, given given its low-key, unknown cast, you know. Mm. Now, we're talking about To the Wrong Man later on as well, and and, um, one of the points of comparison between these two films, which seem completely different to each other, as well as seeming different to, to... Hitchcock's other work around the, the this time in the 50s. Um, but one point of comparison is this is Alfred Hitchcock we're talking about, so you're going to have an element of crime in yeah. the movie. But these these are films where the, 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 they don't focus on, on the crime. They focus on... Well, in, in trouble with Harry, arguably there there is there is no crime. You know? Well, and, the most of you think the crime's already been committed, yeah, and it's the yeah, aftermath, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Is, is the crime. And, and so it's all it's all about the character reactions and the guilt of the characters. Yeah, and and they're feeling guilty about something they haven't done. Yeah, yeah. Which which is a classic Hitchcock motif, but he he really ups the ante on these two films, I mm. think, because. They they they're completely innocent, you know, and 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 um, well, in, the, in and, this yeah, one, they're, they're treated as being guilty, or they sort of treat each. They treat as themselves guilty. as being guilty. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, the, the, yeah. I mean, the amount of times that people think they did the, the crime, yeah, and they didn't, yeah, you know, yeah, it, yeah. It, they're all willing to take on the guilt fairly oh, yeah. quickly, yeah, you know, in this movie. Apart from Shirley MacLaine's character, mm. who's just like, well, fine, if I did, I did, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Like, <laughs> she doesn't seem too bothered, which is part of her charm. Yeah, yeah, and and of course the black humor aspect is great. We've 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 not actually gone into specifics no. on the plot for anyone who doesn't know the film. Basically, uh, Jerry Mathers, as the little boy, um, Shirley MacLaine's son, discovers this corpse in in the the glorious Vermont forestry, and then about a million other people coming, what's supposed to be this isolated area, you know, and as John Forsyth actually (laughs) comments at one point, you know, about that, and is it him or Gwen who who says, oh, I I ought to be selling tickets here, you know. Yeah, Gwen, I think, yeah. It's Edmund Gwen who says it, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, so this isolated sort of cops in, 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 in the middle of Vermont, you know, where nobody ever goes, and suddenly this dead body's found there, and and there's this parade of people coming through, tripping over it, or stealing things from it, or burying it, you know, and and uh, so yeah, that's that's the essence of the plot here is there's this dead body, and various people encounter it and respond to it and do things um, around it. Yeah, you know? it's, de- it's yeah. definitely got a feeling of a sort of like Oscar Wilde stage play type thing. Yeah, or, yeah. or, or maybe like a, a Joe Orton, less less controversial Joe Orton, farcical nature of like there's a dead body on stage. You can see the play play opening. Play open, curtains open, yeah, there's yeah. a dead body. So what the hell? Some guy walks in, bum, and he just oh, yeah. revolves it's, around it's a, that. It's a writer's film, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's oh, a, it's yeah, a writer's yeah. dream and, and, um, and uh, you know, the... the that that concept at the start, you know, someone finds a corpse, you know, what's going to happen, you mm. know, um, and and we find out what does happen in within the trouble with Harry, and very successfully too, I think. Yeah, we talked we talked uh, on one of the podcasts uh, fairly recently about MacGuffins. Yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah. get much more of a MacGuffin than Harry in this. Harry is the, he's the ultimate MacGuffin in this. Yeah, he's yeah. you know the whole plot revolves around his dead body. And, and various attempts to either um, bury him or 
disguise him or report him to the police or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and of course, you, you need an actor playing that part as course, well, yeah, which, yeah. which must have been a tough job. So, uh, yeah. um, but uh, one one thing I love uncredited about, job with Philip Philip Truex apparently was yes. the it was the corpse yeah. but uncredited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, des- deserves a name check from us, I think. I think so. Yeah. His, his feet in particular, as we've already said, give a great performance. Yeah. And they're what you'll remember from, from the movie. Well, we spoke about Robocop being cast for his jaw. Yeah, his yeah, Philip yeah. cast for his feet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one one of the aspects I love about Trouble with Harry is, is um, and again, how much of this is down to the script, and I'm sure a lot of this is down to Hitchcock, is how, how risque it is at times. Hitchcock loved baiting the censors and putting stuff into his movies that he shouldn't have done, you know. And I think he goes overboard here. There's the the great scene where Mildred Natwick is in the in 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 the local store um and and she's arranged for this rendezvous with with Edmund Gwen and she's inviting him round for tea and blueberry muffins, you know. And she's in there buying a new cup to to sort of impress him, buying like a man's cup. And she gets John Forsyth to test it out. And and he does it in this very Freudian way by putting his finger through through the, <laughs> the, 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 the handle, the hole in the handle, you know. And then they have this brilliant conversation too about uh, she she asks him to guess how old she is. And he says <laughs> he says 50. And she's appalled and says, no, no, I'm I'm 42. And and she says, I can prove it with my birth certificate. And Forsyth comes back with the great line and how Hitchcock I'm sure was was reveling in this you know he comes back with the line I'm afraid you're going to have to show more than your birth certificate to convince a man of that you know <laughs> and I bet Hitch was sort of rubbing his hands when he read that in the script and 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 when he saw the film with with audiences and with executives you know very very risque and then there's a whole conversation with Shirley MacLaine and Forsyth later on yeah lots of double entendres and and lots of sort of sexual innuendo and stuff you know for 1955 mm. this this is sort of heady stuff you know yeah absolutely I mean, it did feel like it was setting that tone for those 60s comedy com- com- which were, were much more sort of like risque very, very much yeah you, you know it, it, it took hollywood probably four or five years to catch up you're getting stuff like uh some like it hot yeah and the apartment with, with the apartment Shirley, McLean, yeah. you know where where you you and hitchcock's like five years ahead of that game here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know definitely um yeah. Do, do anything else on this one, or should we move on to the wrong man? Um, yeah, I, I we can we, come back to it. Obviously, with the yeah, the we, we've um, we've just about said it all on yeah. on on this. I think do do see it. It's a great example of Hitchcock. Um, visually, mm. it fits in. I think with with the tone of of the vertigos and rear windows, but the script is very 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 different and. Uh, a lot, a lot lighter and a lot hu- more humorous. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, even though it's all about a dead body. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so this this has been acknowledged as a movie which is was intended to be like a, a trial run for the TV show. But then the wrong man looks much more like something that that, yeah. that would have fitted into. Well, even even with the little introduction from Hitch. At the start of the film, yeah, which is so unusual. We're Very so, unusual. We're so yeah. used to Hitchcock cameos and looking out, spotting Hitch twenty-five minutes into the movie, mm. but here he's right on screen in in shadow yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so this this immediately tells us that the wrong man is going to be something very different. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it reminded, when he came on, I thought, "Am I watching? Have they tagged the trailer?" 
yeah. on the front of yeah. the film it's very in the version like I've that. got. Because yeah. it reminded me of the trailer for Psycho. It is. Where he's yeah. walking yeah. around the house and he opens the door and he's like, oh, I'm yeah. something not, yeah. not in that room, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. But this is Hitchcock coming on screen in shadow, so so looking very sort of film noir-y, you know. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll come back to film noir because that, that really touches on this film a lot. Um but he's basically telling you in a very a much more serious way than he does in the Psycho trailer mm. that you're about to see something very different and that it's a true story. Yeah, yeah. And that you, which again is unusual for Hitch. Mm, mm. And um, and it- and yeah, it's it, we the, it's an intro that just tells us this this is a Hitchcock movie, but it's going to be something a little bit more unusual than you're used to yeah. from Hitch. You know, so, it's so this, a bit more different. This is a true story based on two two things. Based on the book, The True Story of Christopher Emmanuel Balestrero and from the Life magazine article, A Case of Identity. Both true stories about yeah, the same case. Yeah. And Hitch, Hitch had read the Life magazine article yeah. as well. And so it was in his consciousness. That had been published about five years earlier, mm. I think. And uh, the interesting thing about um, Wrong Man and its genesis is that... Um, Hitchcock had been contracted to Warner's. Yeah. He'd been contracted to Warner Brothers. He'd done all his work for them. His contract had run out. He'd now moved on to Paramount and was making this this great classic run of films for Paramount that we, we, we've mentioned already. Yeah. And Warner Brothers, like a lot of the studios in the early 50s, were running into financial difficulties. TV was coming in. You know, there was a lot of competition. The, 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 we're in the years after the war, so they're struggling to get a footing mm-hmm. after, after all of, of the, the, the sort of global conflict. And, and they're struggling for money. And um, Hitchcock went to Warner's and said, I'll, I'll do a film for you for free. Wow. And, that, of course, they said, oh, <laughs> all right then, yeah, yeah. fine. And... There's the people of John Russell Taylor who wrote uh, Hitchcock's uh, biography, and one or two other writers have suggested there might have been reasons for this. One one thing that's been suggested is that Hitchcock wasn't entirely satisfied with the films that he'd done for Warner Brothers, and he being being a man who felt enormous guilt, yeah, which is projected into his films, he sort of felt a bit guilty about this. So so his biographers have said. And, and thought, well, now I'm in the middle of this classic run. I'm I'm hitting these out of the park every time. You know, I ought to go back, go back to Warner Brothers and see if I can do a great film for them. You know. Also, the other thing that's been mentioned is he knew that they had got the rights to the Manny Balestrero story. Right. They got the rights to the Life magazine article, and maybe he knew this and thought, well, I want to do that movie. And if I do that, I've got to go back to Warner's to do it. So yeah, yeah. but he, he he worked for them for free on this. So he so, so, so he, so he wasn't because he did he did Rope and he did Under Capricorn as his two the two films he did for Warner's. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't satisfied with Rope. No. <laughs> it's like that doesn't sound that doesn't Not, sound like I don't know maybe it's maybe I don't know that doesn't sound right to me. Yeah, I I can see his 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 only dissatisfaction with Rope may well have been he and he he did say this himself I think on occasion. He didn't like the constraints of only having ten minutes of film per reel, mm. and, and as we see, you know, we, we we get those cuts and zooms into shadows and zooms into the backs of people and yeah, into yeah. The, the lid of the chest opening up and things. And he had to do that every ten minutes, like like people writing for TV had to write in commercial breaks. You yeah, know? yeah. And and I think 
his his I think that was his main dissatisfaction with rope is that he couldn't film it in a in, film it in a continuous eighty minute take. So yeah, there may have there may have been that slight problem with that. But yeah, Under Capricorn is. His worst film, I think. Yeah, well, it is, but it's his first yeah. colour film as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, talking about experimentation, he was, he was, he was, you know, experimenting on like I'm sure maybe he did feel a bit guilty that he experimented yeah, yeah, when he was yeah. first making but, films. But, you know, he, he he said he was dissatisfied, but as I say, I think there might have been underlying reasons why he wanted to go to Warner's, and the main one being that. He, he wanted to film this story yeah, and yeah. they'd got it. So. Well, this story is about a man who is um, accused of a, a series of robberies. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he's, 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 a, he's a musician yeah. playing in the band at the Stork Club. Yeah, yeah. So he's a musician. Uh, multiple witnesses say it was him. Uh, multiple different places. And, it's, and, you, and you see the film and, uh, as it plays out of him slowly being framed, inadvertently maybe framed, but being framed, and you see it slowly build the case. You see, you watch them building the case against him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as the film progresses, although I think for once in Hitchcock, the police are actually quite sympathetic, and they're doing they they sort of sense that it isn't him, mm. and yet the evi- the the, the substantial the, the circumstantial evidence yeah, keeps yeah. building against him, and the police have to sort of take that on board. But they they do seem very sympathetic, and and almost as though they know they've got the wrong guy at the start. And yeah, they're, they're, but doing, I mean, they're doing everything they can to sort of um, go through the police procedure and, and find out whether it's him or not. But then may, the, maybe you've got more of a nice um, view of the police than than, than I do, Daryl. Because well, I, I, I was I, watching, I, I, I was watching, thinking yeah. like they they don't care. They they are they are fobbing him off with bullshit. Well, what they're just <laughs> doing a job is yeah. how I read it, you know. And and I think for once Hitchcock recognises that. And I, I I think the police in the wrong man aren't the usual Hitchcock police. I think they're, they're, they're more like the police that you would get in a conventional film noir or a conventional thriller of the time. And, of course, what we've got coming through on TV is things like Dragnet and The Untouchables as well around this era. Mm. And I, I think this fits right in with that. You know, this is we're at the tail end of film noir here and the yeah. wrong man's not quite a noir, but but um, but it has but, it, but yeah. it's 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 of that breed of TV um, cop show yeah. that is influenced and affected by the noir and also by stuff like uh, Jules Dassin's um, film Naked City yeah you know yeah. that 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 breed of, of of new thriller that's come through that is very hard bitten and hard boiled and very matter of fact yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely has that sort of like dragnet style. Here's just the facts, ma'am. Here we are, we're yeah, playing yeah. it. Even though the facts are wrong and the facts are framing this guy, but it has that film noir elements where it's not so much the the. the it reminded me of a cheap film noir, yeah, yeah. where it's not a glossy, it's not a shabby, mm. but it's just really sort of like the build the tension so slowly. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's almost. I was watching. It, I was halfway through it, and I had to stop. I had to stop watching it because it was, it was winding me up so much yeah, as yeah. they were building this case. So yeah. I was like, I'm going to have to come back to this and later again, on. Has, hasn't this got much more of a TV sensibility mm. about it than either Psycho or The Trouble with Harry, both both yeah. of which were seen by Hitchcock as being being sort of bookends to his TV show, you know. Yeah. And yet The Wrong Man, right in the middle of the run of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, is much more like what was on American TV. At the do you time. think that's because of like, yeah? Do you think that's because of like what we consider TV type tropes are all over this one? You've got oh, the, yeah, a man, yeah, yeah. you've got a, a court case drama. You've got all this kind of like 
good TV drama, gocky drama, melodrama kind of stuff yeah. happening. But Hitchcock, we think that's Hitchcock TV. must have been watching Dragnet on TV yeah, and yeah. bringing some of that into this, though. Yeah. I, I think he, he puts all that in on purpose. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and yet this this isn't this is designed as a, a cinematic piece you know i mean another odd thing about the wrong man of course is it's in it's in black and white yeah right in the middle of, of this era when yeah. he's making manu knew too much and vertigo and he's all and and trouble with harry even yeah. you know, and they're all about the the the, the color and the the spectacle and 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 suddenly we're we're in this noir, noir territory again he does some interesting things with, with black and white here Obviously, you, in a police procedural movie, you, you're going to get a scene where the suspect is fingerprinted, mm-hmm. and Henry Fonda in playing Manny is fingerprinted, and we we go through the laborious procedure of seeing the police putting his fingers on the pad and on on the on the on the on the board, and we see the prints, you know, and it's all it's all standard drama. Hitchcock just going through the motions here. And then we get a great shot of Manny's upturned hand and we see the ink on his fingers yeah. and it glistens like mm. red blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in black and white, that, the, you can tell in, in a shot like that, you can tell that black and white is, is a choice here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just, there's, there's, just from there's, the... There's a scene in, 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 in the courtroom later as well where one of the witnesses is asked to describe the clothes that Henry Fonda's wearing... And she describes these various coloured hues. Oh, he's got a blue jacket on. He's got this coloured tie on, you know. And, and we're seeing it in, in like grey and white, you know. And and it really does emphasise, A, the sort of everyman qualities of this character and B, the fact that witnesses can get things wrong. Yeah, you know? yeah. And again, it's, 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 a, it's another scene that tells you, another moment that tells you black and white is... is a choice here and it's the correct choice yeah and with, with these these things the, the truth is not always black and white daryl yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah in this case more than ever we, we talked about how it's a true story and we talked about how it's based on like these two 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 stories uh the book and the uh life article but it's also another true story in another way as well because it's deeply rooted in Hitchcock's childhood of him being um, sent to jail by his dad, <laughs> age five, yeah, you know, yeah. to, to, to teach him a lesson as, as parents in the yeah. early century did. Which, which has been very cleverly written about in, in our friend uh, Stephen yeah. Volk's story about him. Leighton Stone, yeah. Yeah, Leighton Stone, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely. And obviously that, that fear of being wrongly accused, yeah, runs through this story. All yeah, the way, you know, which is what most of appeal to all his work. In, absolutely, in the magazine yeah, article. absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that dread and that guilt and that feel of, of of being wrongly accused of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right to his core. Now, the the casting's great because mm. I'm I'm not a big fan of Henry Fonda. I must say, I, I find yeah. him he's a good actor, and I accept that. <laughs> he's, he's a good actor who seems to always play sort of rather ordinary. He doesn't play sort of showy parts, and I that doesn't appeal to me so much. I like my actors to be able to play big, and, yeah. and he, he never quite seems able to do that. But he's he's brilliant for this. He's a perfect he fit is. for this. He is. However, again, watching this with my wife, and uh, it must be a 21st century thing when you're watching something and you immediately Google. As you're watching these things, Amy just went... How old is he? 
Because he does say... How old is she? He, he, does, he does even say he's 38. Manny's 38. 38, During yeah, yeah. the course of this, yeah, yeah. Uh, time is fluid, Daryl. <laughs> in Hollywood, even more yeah, so. Yeah. There's 24 years age difference between Vera Miles and Henry Fonda yeah, in this yeah, movie. Yeah. And it, it, it stands out like a sore thumb for me when I was watching it and, yeah. and for Amy. Maybe back at the time it wasn't as much yeah. of a, 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 as a thing, but... And, and of course, even, even genuine 38-year-olds in, in the mid 50s looked looked about 58 mm, didn't they we, mm. we see that all the time in old movies yeah, you, know? yeah. You, you you go through the you, you do go through the opposite side of that sometimes don't you where you're you're, you're watching someone who's playing a, what seems to be an older character and then you look them up on google or wikipedia and they're only 35 yeah, you know? they, yeah. they look like my granddad you know? <laughs> but yeah fonda here is is sort of he's very well cast he's a good fit for this part yeah but there there is that age problem definitely he definitely yeah. he doesn't he doesn't yeah. look 38 no, no, <laughs> at all no. he, you know even in, in, not, not just the way he dresses but in just in his like the wrinkles on his yeah. face he's got he's lived a life yeah. you know but maybe for 50s audiences the, he, because people did look older then yeah, they, 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 they might well have got away with it i i, I think that's something Thing that has changed over the years you know? well it's funny because we were yeah, talking yeah. we were talking in the office about top gun and, and someone was saying the age difference between jennifer connelly and uh, and tom cruise and it's like is there it's like it's like nine years yeah, age difference yeah, and it's yeah. like that that was a shock in mean, 24 years yeah. now, ridiculous. people people talk about that time in in just before new hollywood kicked in which of course we covered in some of our early podcasts there was that period where some of the people Hitchcock had worked with, like Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant and Henry Fonda and people like that, were, were still the big stars in Hollywood yeah. in the early 60s. And people look back at that era now and say, did audiences buy this, that, yeah, that Cary yeah. Grant was still getting the girl? You know? we, but we're, we're actually living through those times. Now, our big film stars are Tom Cruise and Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah, but they're not casting. But I mean, Tom Cruise particularly is not casting like uh, Fred Astaire and Audrey Hepburn, <laughs> you know what I mean, in Funny right, but, Face. Yeah, but we, we, we think that, but I wonder if a 20-year-old's no, watching possibly. Top Gun and thinking, who's this old guy? You know? Well, they might be, but, yeah. the, but what I'm saying is they're not casting a 21-year-old girl that he's yeah, getting, yeah. you know, winning yeah. in the in the, in the story they're casting slightly more age appropriate yeah 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 but yeah i i buy henry fonda in the wrong man though i, oh, I yeah, I yeah, yeah because he's so good in the film and he's so right for the part yeah don't and, get me wrong and i i i think i think in comparison to other people that you see on screen in this era and other males yeah. that you see on screen, he's, he's, he's a fit. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, no, it's, he, he, you buy it. And then the story's not really about his, his marriage and no, anything like no, that. It's no. more about the, the, the case. So, no. yeah. And, and, and in, indeed, I, I think, I think the, the whole point of the, of the relationship between him and Vera Miles, this, in this film, it divides, you mm. know. And, and this ultimately ends, ends up as a film about his wife. Yeah. Yeah, um, which we'll we'll come on to later on. I, mm. I think we we need to talk a little more about him and 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 what what Manny goes through. But but yeah, ultimately the the, the whole third act is about Vera Miles yeah, playing his yeah, wife. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm uh, the the police are interesting in this. There's there's a point where where they 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 first approach him. They they they're sent round to his house to to make inquiries and and to pick him up and arrest him. And there's a scene where they're sat outside in the car and 
they're, they obviously want to be seen as being sort of pally and friendly yeah. and everything. And they say, what, what, what do you think his nickname is? What, what, what do you think his friends call him? And they decide that, oh, his name's Christopher. Yeah. We'll call him Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they get it completely wrong because they don't know that his middle name is Emmanuel mm. and that his family and friends all call him Manny. Yeah, yeah. And so the police, they're, they're, there's, there is this, this almost invasion of the body snatchers like sort of sheen to that, you know, where they're trying to pretend to be human, you know, and getting it wrong. I, I read that differently as I was watching it. I didn't read it as them being trying to be nice, trying to, to ease his pain because they immediately take him away from his front door, don't let him speak to his wife. They don't let him yeah, call his yeah. wife for hours afterwards. Well, they're, they're, doing, they're doing it as an element of the job, sure. for sure. Yeah, but yeah. but I, th- I think there is this level of genuine sort of friendliness to it as well, you know, that they want to be sort of um, matey with him, you know. Yeah. A... a to to get what they want, you know, mm. and 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 to be able to sort of sidle in and pick him up without him realizing what they're doing, but also because they don't know yet that that he is the guy they're looking for, you yeah, know, and yeah. so they they want to be sort of careful about it and they want to be on good terms with him, you know. I, I do I do think that carries through a part of the film. Maybe I'm not convinced, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah we, we, we read that differently, which is fine. Yeah. That's it's, it's, it's another one as we yeah. talked about in the trouble with Harry. It's another one where it's the aftermath of crime. Yes, yeah, that is yeah. A, this film is about the aftermath of crime, We're not yes. seeing which is unusual for Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, two films. Often, often, you know, it's it's not unusual that we get a wrong man because mm. we get that in things like north by northwest as well yeah but often that's happening while the crimes are going on yeah, you know yeah. here it's all about the aftermath as it is with trouble with harry mm. and and you also get in in something like rear window you 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 get someone who's suspicious of another character and, and we follow their story but here we're actually following the suspect yeah, yeah. Which, which is unusual for yeah it, yeah you know yeah, it's just strange. I mean, obviously, some filmmakers uh, differ on those kind of things, but David Lynch always, very rarely, looks at the actual crime. It's always mm. the aftermath yeah, of an yeah. event or a crime yeah, or a yeah. car crash or whatever. It's, we and, never and, see and those I, things. I'm, I'm sure that's influenced by yeah, Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, among Lynch's many influences, um, I, I, I think there's definitely Hitchcock mm, in there. Mm. But there's a certain a certain part of Hitchcock. Yeah. I don't think he makes Hitchcockian films. No. But I think he, he focuses on one certain aspect of Hitch. And I, I bet David Lynch loves these two films. Yeah, yeah, I can see I can definitely see it in, in these films, definitely. Yeah, so you, we, we get the plot, we get, we move into like a courtroom drama, I guess, yeah. as a halfway through, so we get the police procedural element of the first act and yeah, the first yeah. part of the second on, act. On that police procedural aspect, before we leave that, I, I want to talk about the, the, the scenes where they actually take Manny around the mm. this, this so actually, weird I, I don't know whether this was ge- how the police genuinely operated back then in 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 the states or in certain states of america they they take him round <laughs> all of the crime scenes and he has he has to walk in and out of shops and buildings and stuff that he's supposedly robbed yeah and sort of walk up and down the shop and walk to the back of the store so that the guy that he's he's held up or the woman that he's held up can sort of pick him out, you know. I mean, the second one when he goes, I think it's the second one where he walks in and the guy goes, sorry, can you stop there? Can you just do that again? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just like, what? This is so crazy. It is. And and I, I, I assume that this is all based on reality because we know the rest of the film is. Possibly, yeah. I mean, but, but equally, it's, it, it definitely has that bizarre old world 
element to it where yeah, where the character yeah. having something like that happen to the character it's like what is yeah, going yeah. on the, the great thing about fonda's performance all the way through the movie he he goes along with all this weirdness mm. and he just accepts it and he just does what the police want him to do you know there's a great moment where when when he's put in his holding cell they go through the routine of oh we we, we need your tie and we need your jacket you know and the, mm. the usual stuff the police do you know and then there's there's a point where um somebody holds out a pair of open handcuffs and Fonda simply holds up his, his, his bare arm as, as acceptance of, oh, I, I know you, you, need, you need to put the handcuffs on me now. Yeah. You know? And I just watched that and thought, wow, that's a great moment because mm-hmm. he's, he's, just, he's just given in here. Yeah, he's know? not fighting against yeah, it yeah. at all. And, yeah. and, and that really hit home to me. I, I then thought, oh, he's been doing that all the way through the rest of the performance. Mm. He's, he's, he's a guy who clearly, unlike Hitchcock, he clearly trusts the police implicitly to, to, to fight crime and to do their job and get things right. And he knows they've got the wrong guy because it's him. Yeah. <laughs> he knows he's yeah, not yeah. done. He's the one person who knows he's not done any of this stuff. And yet, like him as a jobbing musician, he knows the police have got a job to do. Yeah, and he just yeah. lets them do it, even to the point where he gets into his holding cell and he, he simply says, oh, yeah, you, 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 I see you've got to put the handcuffs on now. And they open the handcuffs and he just holds up his arm. And yeah. another another point about that um, that that holding cell is that again coming back to Psycho, and I've I've been looking on a web page this morning called the first Hitchcock toilet question mark, <laughs> and people have this big thing about Psycho. Oh, Psycho is the first movie where you see a toilet on screen. Well, it isn't because you can go back to to silent movies where you've got yeah. bathroom scenes, you know. But even in terms of Hitchcock, if you look on this web page. The first Hitchcock toilet, they they show about five or six shots from Hitchcock movies. Again, going back to the twenties, thirties, with with bathroom scenes. Mister and Mrs Smith, I think, has got a running gag about a flushing toilet, you know. Mm. And the wrong man has a close up shot in the cell of we see we see the bars and the ceiling of the cell. We see the hot. They, they, there's a real focus on the hard wooden bench yeah. as though. He's not at home in his comfy bed now. He's going to have to sleep on this thing. And then there's a shot of the toilet in the corner of the cell three years before Psycho. So, but uh, it just attracts so many weird interpretations, Hitchcock movies, don't yeah, they? Yeah. It's like, who thinks to set up a website talking about the toilets in know, Hitchcock movies? Yeah, it's yeah. just so well, weird. I, I suppose the thing is, so much is made of the, the toilet in Psycho that, that I think I can well, see yeah, why but... someone has done that to say, no, that's actually wrong, you know. Yeah. And um, the weird thing is, they haven't got the wrong man on their website. So oh. we're, we're, we're <laughs> you know, we're, we're pointing that one out. Mm. So uh, Yeah, if yeah. you're listening, get yeah, it fixed. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, but yeah, again, that that whole sequence of shots is is just to show the sort of matter-of-factness yeah, of factness. Yeah, yeah. This is what a prison cell is like. And to emphasise the fact that Manny doesn't know this, you know, yeah. that this, this is all new to him. Mm-hmm. And yet he's just going along with it all. Yeah, yeah. He probably does know it from watching Dragnet. Yeah, yeah. Pla- like, like the rest of the audience. It's a you know. placid American citizen. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and as I say, he, he trusts the cops yeah. in a way that Hitchcock yeah. doesn't, and we, the audience, know that. Okay, so, yeah, so as I say, then moves into a courtroom drama and then, I, I guess, melodrama. Yeah, yeah. 
The, yeah. the courtroom drama is rather well done. Again, yeah. again, you, 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 they're ten a penny. You've yeah, seen yeah. a million of them at this time in cinema. They're 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 in every other film, aren't they? Yeah, You're yeah. getting entire films built around them. You know, at least Hitch confined it to about fifteen minutes at the end. But it's very well done. And as we've already said, there's stuff done with with the colour of the clothing and things like that, which which keeps it all visually interesting. And and uh, but the real focus of the final act is on the effect of the whole case yeah. on Vera Miles. Mm-hmm. And again, we, 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 we even get a sort of preempting of, of Psycho, I think, in her performance. There are shots of her. Basically, she, she goes, she's, she's driven yeah, yeah. more or less insane by, by and, and who wouldn't be, yeah, yeah. by the travails that her husband yeah, is, but is we, being Yeah, we get to. a textual epilogue, don't we, at the end, just we, says, no, she's, she's all right. Yeah, yeah, we, we yeah, do. Yeah. A, nice, a nice everything's okay yeah, yeah. caption, although what we see on screen yeah, exactly. doesn't, doesn't really yeah. sort of point us in that direction. But she's so great. She's, she sort of becomes the dramatic focus of yeah, the film. Yeah. We forget all about Fonda, and mm. suddenly she is what this film's all about. She is basically driven insane by by the pressures of what the family have been put under yeah, yeah, yeah. and and she shows it she even attacks fonda at one mm-hmm. point you know and and um there are certain shots of her that really do make make you th- we're, we're looking back on this now from a perspective of 50 60 years you know and we know about psycho which audiences at that time didn't know that was coming you yeah, know? yeah. But we look back on that and we can see the genesis of norman bates in her character, yeah yeah no definitely which is terrifying given that she's a really nice lady you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that she's being played by vera miles who is nice she's one of the good guys in psycho you know yeah, yeah. and yet here you can see Hitchcock working his way towards Norman Bates in this character. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you've got you've got precedents of women going crazy in movies in the nineteen fifties. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, and back to the forties yeah, yeah, yeah. and before. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so it wasn't an unknown thing for the audience. No, but it's great for this drama, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, it, because it's based on the real story, they've got to put it in there, and so it, it does sort of play on that that sort of crazy woman thing that you'd, you'd had through the 1940s you know um every, every other joan crawford character was was going through it you know and uh, so yeah it was something that was familiar to the cinema audiences but it was also part of this true story yeah i mean it's funny one of the reviewers at the time said um it's a, I'm going to quote him, Richard, Richard Coe of the Washington Post said, Having succeeded often in making fiction seem like facts, Alfred Hitchcock in The Wrong Man now managed to make facts seem like fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Suddenly, well, for, for two-thirds it is, it's an episode of Dragon yeah, yeah. and then for the final third it's what used to be called a woman's picture. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. And on, on, on that whole female thing, there's there's a great sequence where they're, they're trying to get a lawyer to take the yeah. case on. And they get this guy who's not sort of experienced in criminal law, but he sort of says, "Oh yeah, I, I, I can, I can sort of work with you." And again, he interestingly he gets them to do all the detective work, which is fascinating. <laughs> and they sort of go out, and uh, Vera and Henry sort of go out and interview all the witnesses and start gathering their own circumstantial evidence, which is amazing. But the point I wanted to make is. There's a scene where Vera Miles has to ring the lawyer's office. Mm. Well, I think she rings his home number and he's out and she speaks to his wife. And there's this great, great moment where, as I remember, I think we can only hear Vera 
on one end, we don't hear what the, the wife is saying. So she's sort of playing against herself on the phone. You know, great, great bit of performance there. Great bit of, you know, sort of testing acting there to, to sort of act with the phone, you know. But she realises she can't get in touch with the lawyer but that she's speaking to his wife. Mm. And um, she just pours her heart out to her because I can't talk to the lawyer. Yeah. I hear that you're... A fe- you're a wife, you're a mother, mm-hmm. you're a female voice, you know. And she has this great line. She just says, we don't know what's been said to her. We, we guess it's something like, oh, my husband's not in and you'll, you'll have to ring him yeah, yeah. Tuesday or whatever. And, and the, the, the bit we do hear is Vera Miles saying, no, 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 I'd like to tell you. Mm. And, and what, what she puts into those seven or eight simple words yeah, yeah. is devastating. You know, you can tell that, that she's desperate to cling on to what she's got on the other end of this phone, which is a friendly female yeah, voice, yeah. an understanding voice, you yeah. know. And that's the first sign of her crack up, I think, mm-hmm. you know. And she just descends from that point on. Yeah. And it's it, she just takes over the whole final third of the film. Yeah, no, she's great. She's great. great yeah. it's, it's the big show. In, in, a, in a film that isn't about showy performances... It's the showstopper. Yeah, 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 yeah. And obviously, we foreshadowed her uh, psycho and all that kind of stuff, and her 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 appearance in psycho as well. Indeed, yeah, yeah. yeah. To develop on the point we've just made, there you can not only see the genesis of psycho here, but yeah. you can see Hitchcock's next three or four movies. You know what we've got coming up is Vertigo, Psycho, Marnie, and I, I think I think they all come out of this this final 20 minutes yeah, of The yeah. Long Man. Yeah, you, they do, but equally, like, you can see the threads running through his career. Absolutely. All of these threads Absolutely. running through yeah. his career. This, this is like, it's not a catalyst, it's a sort of midpoint. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, can, you can also see why, why Hitchcock was seized upon by the auteur theory. Absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. there are those strange, yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. you, look at, you look at some other, like yeah. a William, uh, William Wyler or someone like that yeah. directing. Yeah. Can you see the same strains? Yeah. Probably well, we, not. We've even found connections today between The Wrong Man and The Trouble with Harry. Well, they, yeah, and yeah, at yeah. face value, you couldn't get two more different movies. Yeah, well, that was the reason and, we chose these two. Exactly. Yeah, but but I, I think they, they make a great double bill. I yeah. think they're, they're good to talk about together. And I think if you go away and watch them having listened to us, you'll find more connections between them and more connections with Hitchcock's other work than you might initially yeah, expect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's funny because I was watching them, and, I, and in my head, I assumed that they were the other way around in date order because they play like they play. Like, I mean, yeah, the trouble yeah. with Harry feels very modern, yeah. whereas the wrong man doesn't feels very much of its time in the fifties, mm. doesn't it? So yeah. Anyway, anyway, here we are wrapping up. Thank you very much for joining us, Daryl. Back again to discuss some more interesting film topics soon thank you for listening do check out our facebook page and do email us at podcast at darbyquad.co.uk if you've got any subject matters you want us to tackle and if you feel so inclined sign up to our patreon we will be back in a couple of weeks time take care